Well, this morning, I am excited because we get to start a new sermon series, and it's a sermon series that you wanted, whether you realized it or not, because the other part of the Invitations and Honesty survey said, I'm not really sure how to invite people to church or to invite people to a relationship with Christ. Well, man, are you in the right place this morning, because we're going to kick off a series, four-part series called The Invite, funny enough. Anyway, The Invitation is all about, uh, it's not just inviting people to church, it's inviting people into a relationship with Christ. This idea of not being ashamed of Jesus is something that I, I began to take more seriously. Because for me, growing up, here's what, I, here's what I realized in a moment of clarity years later, is that Jesus was for me, and Jesus was my personal Savior. Jesus was so that I could experience grace. Jesus was so that I could face anything in life and I would be okay. Do you notice the pronouns that I'm using here? Me, I. Jesus wasn't for other people. That was their problem. Actually, Jesus is very clear. Jesus is for everyone. And I have a role in that. As we just went through a sermon series not too long ago, this great commission, he's very clear. Jesus is very clear what the mission of the church is. It is to make disciples. It is to teach, to baptize as we go about our daily, day, daily business. Jesus has no confusion. It was Bill that was confused. So this idea of this great commission... Uh, why should I go out there? Why should I put myself out there? Now, I'm going to give you a caveat. I'm not expecting you all to go preaching on street corners. If you want to, I'm happy to share some tips, right? But I don't expect everybody to go out and preach on a street corner. That's not what Jesus expects either. Here's what I'm hoping, is I'm hoping that you will be exactly who God made you to be, exactly where God has placed you, and you will be able to share the good news in a way that is winsome and attractive and natural. You say, Bill, that's not possible. Oh, contraire. Have you met God? He can equip us to do just that. And here's how. In Romans chapter 1, 16 through 17, this might be where it gets sporty because I was kind of counting on big words on the screen, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. Romans 1, 16. Uh, Paul is writing. You know Paul, that guy who wrote most of the epistles, right? And, and this is what he's saying. He's writing to the church in, Roman, in Rome. <laughs> Romans, nice. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Why is it that Paul has to make sure that people know he's not ashamed? Paul has a lot of reasons to worry. Paul came up as Saul. You might remember the guy who was persecuting Christians. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and there it is. This is so cool. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like the front runner on this movement that was persecuting Christians, and now he's completely flipped the script. To all his former peers, thank you, Clayton. You are a miracle worker right up there next to God. He was right, uh, the Pharisee of Pharisees, and all his former peers hated him. Now, flip to the other side, you think, oh, well, he's preaching the gospel. All these Christians will love him. They feared him. He was a guy who was putting people to death. So Paul had no room. Nobody accepted Paul, but he loudly proclaimed 
He didn't let his past weigh him down. It's like, aren't you the guy that killed Christians? You have no right to preach the good news. He wasn't worried about that because he had encountered the risen Savior, and the risen Savior said, you can preach the good news. In fact, I'm calling you to do that to the Gentiles. So put your past behind you. Put your worries behind you. God doesn't care what you've done, who you've been. God calls us forward, not backward. Last time I checked. I'm always reminded to this point of a video I saw years ago about a person who was coming to church, and the person was doubtful, and they said, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't want me here. And the church leader responds, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't be worried. That's what God calls us to. And why is this so important that we shed our past and focus on this good news? Because the good news is the power of God revealed. The good news is the righteousness of God. And what does that mean? That sounds like religious speak. Well, let me break it down for us. God's power shows when we live the good news. And God's righteousness means that when we see the right way to live, the world is right. How many people think the world is right right now as we have it? Yeah, me too. The world is not right, but God's righteousness can make us right. Now, it's not up to you to make other people do things. It's not up to you to fix the world's woes. We can participate in that, but it's really God that has the answer. And that's why Paul says, let me highlight a couple things here on the screen. Oh, nice. So the power of God is for the salvation of everyone who believes. Not some. Everyone is eligible for this. Everyone who believes. Now, what does this word salvation mean? What do I what do we need to be saved from? Here's the scariest part of all, y'all. We need to be saved from ourselves. It's us that's the problem. If we're let to run free, we can come up with some of the craziest things. Look at history. We've demonstrated time and time again that when we do what is right in our own eyes, it always goes south. We are not the ones that have the answer to fixing the world, to living right. But when we live in Christ, we're drawn up into that righteousness, into the right way of living. And the more people that we can do that, that we can point to God, the more right the world will be. Am I saying that we're the Savior and that we can make the world right? No, I'm saying specifically that God can. And that's all the more reason that we need to tell the good news and not my news. Does that make sense? We're with us. Okay, good, good. So the salvation, we got to have that ability to be saved. Now, Here's a fascinating quote to me. This is Albert Einstein. You'd think we'd be the, the most brilliant human in the face of the planet. He highlights two things that I want to highlight in this idea of living faith. He says, the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. And so when it comes to sharing good news, and more importantly, to living good news, these are our two key enemies, ignorance and arrogance. Now, let's pick those apart for just a second. Ignorance does not mean they're stupid. Ignorance is not a sign of intelligence. You can be the most intelligent person in the world and still be ignorant. Ignorance simply means not informed, not aware. When your child is young and walks out into the street, they're not aware that there's this thing called traffic, and they're not aware that a driver may not see them and might actually run over them and hurt them. doesn't mean they're not smart. just means they're not aware. They're ignorant of traffic and the danger. A parent, on the other hand, is very aware, is not ignorant of traffic. And so that's why you say, look both ways before you cross the street. How much more so then is God like a parent and we like that child? 
And there's some things that we just don't know that we don't know. If you create the universe, you pretty much know everything about the universe. And he's like that parent that says, you don't want to do this. We balk at God's guidance. We balk at Ten Commandments or God's trying to kill my joy. Don't do this. Don't do that. What he's trying to do is keep us safe because he is not ignorant and I am. The flip side of that is arrogance. And this is the other obstacle to sharing the good news and and helping people live the good news. Arrogance is just the opposite. It's like, I don't know what I don't know, but I think I know everything. How many people have teams? You get it, right? How many people have had teams? You get it. How many people are about to have teams? You will get it. <laughs> All right, so arrogance is, I think I know everything. And this is another key element in not living God's way, but living my way. You don't tell me what to do. I know everything. And maybe some kids are, are like that already. Hey, Maybe some adults are like that already. I mean, Rana tells me that all the time. But anyway, so these are the two key enemies. But here's the thing. Here's three steps that I want to walk through real quickly that we need to be aware of as we attempt to share this good news and invite people into this relationship with Jesus Christ. The first is that we need to recognize we need a Savior. We need to be saved. Romans 3.23 says it pretty clearly, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, all. It doesn't matter how good we are. We're going to miss God's mark because God is perfect and I'm not. But here's where grace and forgiveness come in. God doesn't say, yeah, one mistake, you're out, you're done. You can no longer share the good news. I don't want you in the family. God says, you know what? I'm going to make it possible so that you can have second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances because the story is that important and I don't want to lose anyone along the way. We need a Savior and we need to recognize that. As much as we like to use our imagination, uh, and here's the other reason why we we need a Savior. We just don't think we need one. We're good people. But let me ask you, do you think there's things that are so good that you can't even imagine that? You know, I think of that that Bible verse, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the the glory that awaits. We can't even imagine what it's going to be like when we meet God. Have you ever wondered, are, are there things so good that you can't even imagine it? Anybody else wondered this? just me and my pathetic life. (laughs) But here's the flip side of that. Could there also be then things that are so bad that we can't imagine it? Things that are so terrible that we don't want to even venture a guess. And could it be that God is aware of those things that are so terrible that he doesn't want us to experience that? That's why he sent a savior. We don't know that we need to be saved. God does. God provided a savior We need a Savior. That's the first step. If we can get past that, recognizing that we need one, we're well on our way. Let's go back to the Bible verse here because this is interesting to me. I want to highlight this because it's a a cool Bible study thing that a lot of you may do already, but if not, here's here's another opportunity. As we read this, you think, okay, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Awesome. What does that mean? Well, those who are lined up right have to do that by faith because we don't have all the answers. Jesus is not here to ask questions to. You can pray, but it's just different when he's not here in person. Yes, the Holy Spirit guides us, but there's going to be an element of faith. But here's the Bible study tip. How many people, uh, if you have it online or or if you're playing the home game, look up the Bible verse and see why uh, or see the, the notation there, the annotation. 
He's quoting something else. It is written. Okay, well, what's he quoting? He's quoting Habakkuk, a prophet. Anybody familiar with Habakkuk? Somebody got it. <laughs> that is so weird. Like, I can't even spell it, right? Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet, and here was Habakkuk's problem. He was looking at the nation of Judah, and he was seeing spiritual and moral corruption. People were not following God. This was the chosen people. Not only was it the chosen, it was the chosen of the chosen. If you go back in, in history, Israel split into two. They had a north kingdom and a south kingdom. The south kingdom was the loyal kingdom. This was the good kingdom. The north kingdom became those Samaritans, right? He's looking at the south kingdom saying, you are spiritually and morally bankrupt. Now, you may be thinking, what, they didn't show up to church every Sunday? <laughs> no, it's way worse than that. Not that that's a terrible thing. It's way worse than that. They had gotten to the point where they were actually putting up images of Baal in the worship space, and it gets better. They were actually sacrificing children to Molech. It doesn't get much worse than that. So Habakkuk is looking around, and he's saying, God, why are you letting this happen? Where's your judgment? Are you not a God of justice as well as mercy? And God answers him back, and he says, oh, it's coming. It's coming in the form of the Babylonian army, and it's going to be disastrous. It's going to be leveled. There's going to be weeping and wailing. But the righteous will live by faith. That's the context of this quote. The righteous will live by faith. There's bad stuff coming. It's going to be terrible. But those who know me will continue to live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. So even though we look around and things seem bad, that doesn't give us an excuse to abandon faith. In fact, it's all the more reason to hang on to that faith, all the more reason to share that good news in the way that we do. But more likely in America, here's what I see. It's not that we're about to be overrun by the Babylonian army. It's the flip side of that. What if things are so good we don't think we need God? I've got everything I need. I never go hungry. I have a roof over my head. I have clothes to wear, even though I can't match them and have no fashion sense whatsoever. That's what Ron is for. I don't need God. Yeah, you do. You do. Because there are things that are so terrible we can't even imagine that he does know about, and we don't. The righteous will live by faith. That's the, what the uh, fall of Jerusalem would have looked like. Imagine just being displaced, the terribleness of, of what happened there, to be displaced, to not be able to take your things with you, to be put into exile, to run under somebody else's system of economics and government where you're always going to be a third-class citizen. That would be horrible. <clears throat> so the second step, after we recognize that we need a Savior, is we have one. We look for all kinds of things to save us, but we already have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says it this way, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to recognize that all the places that we look, to make us feel good, to make us feel saved, to make us feel right. There's really only one place that we need to look. And guess who? It's Jesus once more. Martin Luther King had a quote I wanted to share with you. <clears throat> Your ignorance is their power. Now, here's why I share this quote at this particular time. We already described ignorance as not being aware. If we're not aware of the fullness of God and we're not aware of what God can do, Somebody has power, and it's not us. 
some message is going to come through that's not the good news. It's not even remotely the good news. This is where I see the North American church heading right now. We're slipping into ignorance, slipping into ignorance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ because we just aren't taking the time to sit down and gain that knowledge. But that's not the part that worries me the most. We're also slipping in our ignorance of living, of action, of living that faith. That's the part that scares me the most because, ironically, that is the most, uh, what am I trying to say, the broadest communication that we can have. Because if you try to use words, some people are going to shut you out. Uh, frankly, if some, some of us try to use words, it's going to come off sounding too weird. Right? I don't speak that jargon. I don't get what you're saying. But if you watch someone's actions, that speaks volumes. Actions are louder than words. There's a reason we have sayings like that. And this is what scares me, is that have we lost the ability to live into the faith because we don't know the faith? We're not aware of what that looks like. We have to be careful because when we are not aware... It gives someone power. So here's the third charge. How will they know? How will they hear without one who proclaims him? Now, again, you don't have to stand on the street corner. If you want to do that, great. I'll help you out. But we all can proclaim in various ways, and we all need to proclaim in those various ways. So we proclaim the Savior. A couple of ideas for uh, the way that we can do this. The first one is to be transformed. This is the scripture that we started off with. This is why I love Word Serve Church. This is the one place, not the one place, one of the best places where I've seen that life is truly different, where you all try to live out your faith authentically. Does that make us perfect? No. Does that mean, uh, okay, I made a mistake, so I, I'm out? I can't do this anymore? No. Does it mean I'm so ashamed of what I've done that no one would listen to my testimony anymore? Well, that's their problem. It's not your problem because you're saved. You've got that covered. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, like I'm saved so I can do it, you know, I'm, I'm all that. No, I recognize who I am exactly. That's why I need the Savior. But it does not stop us from living and sharing the good news. That's what the enemy would love to have happen, is that we would be shut down because we think we're not good enough, we don't know enough. And so stay tuned on what that looks like, because next week we're going to talk about of competence and covenant, how to actually share that good news which probably terrifies most everybody sitting here. But come back next week. We're going to solve it. It's all going to be good. The second thing that we need to do is we need to de-click. De-click. What does that mean? A lot of times when you come into a church, especially if you're new, it can seem kind of clickish. And here's what makes it clickish. We have our own language, don't we? We, we, we use certain phrases like, you know, the, are you blessed today? Amen. Preach it, brother. Um, how, how's your walk going? What, what walk? Uh, so are you justified? Are you being sanctified in Christ? What's your eschatology? Yeah. <laughs> You're speaking Greek to me. Exactly. So they can feel very left out, right? Or, or even, let's just go back to plain old English, right? If someone new walks in that door and you're sitting there talking into your group of friends that you haven't seen in almost all, two days, right? And they're there and they're going, I'm not really sure I should even be here. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know where to go. And no one greets them and no one talks to them. We've just become a clique. Let me, let me put this in a more graphic uh, formula. Let's pretend that this is a hospital and y'all are on staff in the hospital. 
And y'all have some complaints, maybe a sprained finger, got a headache, uh, got a sore throat. And somebody walks in who's having a heart attack, and nobody pays attention to them. Does that kind of weigh in a little heavier? <laughs> because you can't see what people have on inside them. You can't tell what spiritual battles they're struggling with as they walk through that door. You can't see how their spirit is weighed down. We have no idea what people are dealing with. But what we can offer is grace. We can de-click, make ourselves more available. We want to be counterculture, but we don't want to be counter-cult, if that makes sense. Right? We don't want to be so weird that nobody can fit in. And that goes when we go out into the world as well, but more on that next week. And then the last thing is we can invite people. I don't know how to invite people into faith with Christ. I don't know how to invite people to church. Here's a way. Hey, I'm going to church next week. It starts at 1015. What, kind, what time can I pick you up? That required no theological education whatsoever. <laughs> hey, we're doing a series on something that's going to come up, marriage, parenting. Uh, I know, man, we struggle. We talk about our kids all the time. You want to go with me? Because and, and, I don't want to go alone. Would you come with me to church just for four weeks? That's one way. Uh, here's another way. Hey, I know you got this thing about walking into a church. It can be intimidating, but there's a small group that's meeting, and we're talking about this thing. Would you want to come over to my house and just kind of talk? It's really informal. These, these people are authentic and cool. Or, or here's another one. I know you don't know Jesus. I know you don't know anything about church, or maybe you've had a bad experience in church, but I know you love to swing hammers. We've got a project going. We're going to build a handicap ramp. You want to come out and join us? And in the process of building that ramp, we share the good news. Now, I don't mean that here's your power screwdriver. Now, Jesus saith thus. <laughs> I don't know anybody named Mike that has ever done that on a project, and please don't start, right? Here's what I'll, here's what I'll tell you. When you come out to those projects, you're going to see good men and women doing good work with good hearts because Christ lives in them. That's the bottom line. That's telling the story. That's proclaiming the Savior. You can invite him to church. You can invite him to a small group. You can invite him to a service project. You can even invite him to pull up a website. I mean, this is how difficult inviting someone has become in the 22nd century. Hey, can I send you a link? Isn't that that's just so much work? I can't invest all that time. I don't have time to sit there and answer questions. Yeah, send them a link. We've got questions. We've got sermons. We've got sermon series. This is so easy. Even a caveman could do it. Please don't sue me, Geico. <laughs> so this is what we do. We proclaim a Savior. Absolutely we do. Um, but here's the, here's the bottom line of all this. Folks, y'all, we, we need to talk about the J word. Actually, let me rephrase that. We don't need to talk about the J word. We need to speak the J word. We need to live the J word. We need a Savior. We have a Savior. Now we just need to proclaim the Savior. More on that next week, and I promise it will be something that we can all do. But unless we are convinced that we are storytellers that have a story worth telling, the world will never know the good news of Jesus Christ. Proclaim the gospel. Live the gospel don't worry about your past. Focus on Jesus, and the rest will fall into place naturally.
Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, that J word that can be embarrassing. God, I pray that you would help us to see the power in that word, that you would help us to see the saving grace that is available, the ways that we can make the world right by what we do, by what you've done more accurately. God, we're not smart enough to figure all this out. We don't know how to go about this. And there may be some embarrassment, but God, I'm reminded of your son, Jesus Christ, who went through the most embarrassing ordeal of all, being falsely accused, being mocked, being scorned, being beaten, being crucified like a common criminal on a cross. God, he did all those embarrassing and uncomfortable things because of his great love for us. As we reflect on that great love, Help us to expand that love to all the people around us. Help us to see them the same way that you've seen us through your eyes. And help us to love them with your heart. God, bring that into focus, uh, crystal clear focus, so that as we live and move and have our being, it's because of you and not because of us. We give you all the glory and the thanks and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.